You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Historical Blindness, the Odd Past podcast. I'm your tour guide, Nathaniel Lloyd. Follow me as I lead you on a historical tour of a famous destination for treasure hunters the world over. Previously, I told a cryptic and convoluted tale of a hoax that started a wild goose chase through the past, resulting in a controversial pseudo-history. But the basic premise of the entire affair was a genuine mystery, and you may have noticed that I didn't go much into that riddle itself. I speak, of course, of Abby Saunier and his enigmatic career as the parish priest of Rennes-le-Chateau. This foundation of the hoax Pierre Plantard played on the world via the credulity and enthusiasm of Henry Lincoln remains a puzzle in itself worthy of our examination. Francois Berenger Saunier, a staunch anti-republican from a family of monarchists, received his appointment to the parish at Rennes-le-Chateau on June 1, 1885, and within a couple years, he had begun to work on renovating the old tumble-down church. Starting with its altar, which is said to have rested on Visigothic stone pillars, one of which was hollow and contained the notorious cipher parchments, according to Plantard's hoax. But it does appear that Saunier had taken to exploring the grounds of his church, and that he had indeed discovered at least some artifacts of interest, such as the ancient carved stone depicting a soldier and child on horseback that some have taken as proof for the survival of the Merovingian line, another thread exploited by Plantard in his masterful hoax. By 1897, we begin to see signs of Saunier's penury having unaccountably abated as he began to spend money on decorating his church with statuary and other artwork that many would eventually puzzle over. In 1899, his mysterious influx of money could not be denied, for he bought land surrounding the church, all in his housekeeper's name, Marie Denarnade and began to build an ostentatious estate, a grand tower, a fine promenade, and even greenhouses for the growing of oranges. He died of a heart attack in 1917. And today, thanks to the bestsellers of Henry Lincoln and Dan Brown, the mystery of his sudden wealth endures, drawing far more visitors to his parish today than it ever received during his own life. 
But is there a genuine mystery here? Is this a story of hidden treasure or conspiratorial intrigue or revelatory discoveries? Thank you for listening to this Blind Spot episode, The Secret of Rennes-le-Chateau and Abbey Saunier's Riches. Many in the past, and even today, scrutinize the chapel's decorations for clues as to the nature of Saunier's secret, believing them unusual and therefore suspecting that the parish priest had been sending coded messages through them. Henry Lincoln and those who persist in giving weight to his theories see much in them. The church's dedication to Mary Magdalene, for example, is seen as evidence of Lincoln's grail theories, But really, the Magdalene is an important figure from the Gospels, a beloved disciple. So is there any real difference here than if the church had been dedicated to any other disciple? As I've already talked about extensively, people tend to see what they want to see. With little effort, statues of Joseph and Mary cradling the Christ child become, in the eye of the credulous beholder, statues of Jesus and the Magdalene holding their child. And the landscape in the back of a painting of Mary Magdalene can be construed with some imagination as corresponding to imagery of a painting by Teniers, taking one down that old hoax path once again. And statues of different saints in the church's nave can be viewed as being placed in such a way that the first letters of their names spell out the word Grail or Grail, though you have to go looking for the L elsewhere in the church among the bas-reliefs rather than statues in niches. And not only do some read into the artworks too deeply, looking for what they want to see, but also they misread them. Many consider the inscription over the chapel's entrance to be unusual. Terribilis est locus, translated as, this place is terrible. But a better translation may be, this place is awesome for it appears to be taken from Genesis chapter 28, when Jacob, realizing God was in a certain place, declared, quote, how dreadful is this place, end quote. Therefore, taken in this way, it's actually quite a natural inscription for a church where the awe-inspiring presence of God is meant to be felt and feared. One statue in particular at Rennes-le-Chateau especially troubles and mystifies. A devilish depiction of the demon, Asmodeus, kneeling beneath a baptismal font, greets you as you enter. Some take this as a confirmation of the secrets of the church, for Asmodeus is a guardian of secrets, and, more specifically, of the treasure of Solomon's temple. But a simpler explanation is that Saunier saw it as representing the republicanism he detested. In an anti-republican sermon he gave, his sentiments are clear. Quote, The Republicans, now there's the devil to be conquered and who needs to bend its knee under the weight of religion and baptisms, end quote. If the church and its decorations are not the cryptic clues that many take them for, and why would they be? If Saunier had a secret, why would he be coyly broadcasting it with such hints? then we must turn to logic and reason out how he may have found himself so suddenly in money. The implication of Henry Lincoln's theories in the book Holy Blood, Holy Grail 
is that rather than stumbling across a genuine treasure, Saunier discovered a secret that earned him money. By Lincoln's reckoning, it was a secret about Christ that would shake the church to its foundations. And therefore, Saunier must have blackmailed the Vatican for the money he came into. But if one looks at Saunier's life, there are problems with this theory even above and beyond all the issues I reviewed in the last episode. In 1908, Bishop de Beausejour, a bureaucrat, took an interest in Saunier and his unaccountable wealth and began to investigate him. By 1915, he had stripped Saunier of his title under accusations of trafficking in masses. This certainly doesn't sound like a church that had been brought to heel by the dangerous secrets Saunier held. What's up, UFOnauts? It's your UFO guy, Rob Christofferson. Have you ever been curious about the UFO phenomenon, but unsure of where to start? Have you ever wondered about just what crashed at Roswell? Have you ever wanted common sense advice about licking UFOs? The answers don't. Then check out the Our Strange Skies podcast, where we dive into America's rich UFO history and uncover what these sightings say about ourselves. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and most podcast apps, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies. In gray we trust. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. History isn't black and white, yet too often it's presented as such. Grey History the French Revolution is a long form history podcast dedicated to exploring the ambiguities and nuances of the past. By contrasting both the experiences of contemporaries and the conclusions of historians, Grey History dives into the detail and unpacks one of the most important and disputed events in human history, from a revolution based on hope and liberty to its descent into the infamous reign of terror. There's plenty to discuss and plenty of grey to explore. One can't understand the modern world without understanding the French Revolution. So if you're looking for your next long-form binge-worthy history podcast, one recommended by universities and loved by enthusiasts, then check out Grey History, The French Revolution today. Or simply search for The French Revolution. So if the money did not come from a mysterious secret with which Saunier blackmailed the church, must it have come from treasure? Henry Lincoln and others have been led to believe that it was a Templar treasure 
The Templars, of course, had amassed great fortune and perhaps many priceless relics, whether it be during their mysterious years excavating the tunnels beneath the Temple Mount, throughout their many conquests during the Crusades, or simply as the guardians of the wealth of others. This was, after all, the likeliest reason for their suppression, the seizure and redistribution of their wealth. The connection to Rennes-le-Chateau appeared to be through the family of Bertrand de Blanchefort, one-time Grand Master of the Order. There is a Chateau de Blanchefort in the area, and there had been some nobility with the title of Blanchefort that featured in the region's history. For example, the tombstone of a Marchioness of Blanchefort took center stage in the Plantard hoax, a forged etching of it being used as the key to solve the apocryphal Saunière ciphers. And this, with the fact that some of the names on the list of Priory of Sion leaders had been associated with the Templars, and the notion that nearby Chateau de Bézu had been a Templar stronghold after their suppression, led Henry Lincoln to believe Saunière had found a Templar treasure. However, more legitimate scholarship tells us that Lincoln, yet again, made an unsupported leap by linking Bertrand de Blanchefort to Chateau de Blanchefort and the Marchioness of Blanchefort supposedly buried at Rennes-le-Chateau, as it appears the only genuine connection between them is the name. And furthermore, his assertion that Chateau de Bézu was a Templar stronghold appears to be just as unfounded. But even dismissing the Templar connection, there are still likely narratives supporting the presence of a treasure. When Catholic crusaders came through the region in the 13th century to stamp out the Gnostic Cathar heretics, it was said that some escaped with the so-called, quote, treasures of their faith, end quote, whatever those were. Of course, that theory resembles the Templar theory in its reliance on speculation. So let us turn to a theory that requires fewer suppositions. We know that Saunier explored the grounds of his church extensively, digging beneath and even disturbing some of the tombs in the cemetery. Could he have found gold, as the legend so often says? Or if not gold, perhaps some precious relic that he had sold to the church through some intermediary? In excavating beneath his church, he lifted a flagstone that was in reality a valuable artifact, the carving of the soldier with the child on horseback that Lincoln and others have made much of, which some historians suggest is only a depiction of a Carolingian boar hunt. And it is frequently said that beneath this, he found some old coins and a chalice that he gave to his friend, another priest in a nearby parish, Amélie Leban. The chalice remains there today, but it appears to be a 19th century item that merely mimics the medieval style. So perhaps it was just something Saunier picked up for him in a gift shop. Still, could it be that this was the moment of his discovery? He is said to have told the workers helping him that the coins were medallions of little value and to have sent them home. Perhaps seeing this small bit of treasure, he immediately dispatched them so he could investigate himself. And perhaps he went on to discover more than one cache of coins. As previously discussed, the region had been a stronghold of the Visigoths who had sacked Rome. 
whether or not they carried off the treasures of King Solomon that Romans had earlier taken from the Holy Land, surely they carried off some treasure. This remains, at least it seems to me, a distinct possibility. But there is one last treasure theory that we should consider, and this one may indeed lead us to a better understanding of the entire legend. This was the original treasure legend, offered when in 1956, one Noel Corbu first shared the mystery of Abby Saunier's wealth to a wider audience in an interview with the newspaper La Depeche du Midi. Corbu had heard the story of Saunier's mysterious wealth from Marie de Nernod, Saunier's housekeeper and sole heir. According to Corbu, de Nernod had confided to him that Saunier had discovered the treasure of Louis VIII's wife, Blanche de Castile, an amount of about 18 million francs that was still hidden away somewhere in Rennes-le-Chateau. The problem is, that there is no evidence that any such treasure ever belonged to this historical figure, let alone that it would have been secreted away in this little mountain village. In truth, Noel Corbu, a businessman, had purchased the lavish estate that Saunier had left behind, Villa Betania, and sought to make of it a hotel. But Rennes-le-Chateau was such an isolated place, he didn't know how he could drum up enough guests to turn a profit. To him, then, the local legend about the priest and his mysterious wealth was a godsend. He cooked up a completely fabricated hidden treasure story, disseminated it through the newspapers, and watched with satisfaction as reservations began to pour in. Thus, even at its very beginnings, the legend of treasure at Rennes-le-Chateau is steeped in hoax and false history. While the notion that Saunier found some Visigothic artifacts of value beneath his church is certainly plausible, the absolute swamp of fabrication and fantasy that surrounds every part of this mystery makes it difficult to give any theory much credence. So perhaps, then, we should apply the rule of Occam's razor to cut through the baloney. What is the simplest and least complicated explanation for his wealth? Well, Saunier was a charming man and does appear to have accepted gifts from wealthy women. Moreover, during the last decade of his life, as Bishop de Beausejour investigated him, charges of trafficking in masses led to the loss of his title. It appears that Saunier was collecting payment for prayers on a large scale. Bishop de Beausejour found advertisements that Saunier had placed in Catholic magazines all over France and concluded that he could not possibly have said all the masses for which he had accepted payment. So there you have it, evidence of the source of his wealth and ill-gotten at that. But could he have possibly amassed great riches this way? In truth, Saunier might not have been so rich as he seemed. Judging from the money he spent does not necessarily give an accurate representation of the money he had, for at the time of his death, as his ecclesiastical trial continued, Saunier was deeply in debt. In the end, like so many historical mysteries, it really depends on what you want to believe. 
If you have the heart of an adventurer, you may ignore the evidence that suggests the priest was just a charlatan in favor of the idea that there is gold in those hills. And if you're of a skeptical mind, you dismiss it as fanciful garbage. As we have seen so many times, it is in these intersections of fact and myth, in these areas where faith conflicts with reason, that historical blind spots endure. Thank you for listening to Historical Blindness. Music for the show is provided by film composer Alex Kish. Visit alexkishmusic.com to get compositions for your own projects. And by Sean Duncan from his former project, Seanario. And by Creepy Pizza, whose music you can find on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Bandcamp. As always, a big thanks goes out to my partner patrons on Patreon. Lori, Diane, Marina, and Michael. You are the legend of treasure that keeps me out there hunting. Find me on Patreon to support the show and get some perks. Otherwise, visit the website to browse the merch on Redbubble, check out the episode reading list, and click through to Amazon to buy my novel about the intersection of anti-Masonry and the beginning of Mormonism in early 19th century New York. If you get the novel and read it, drop me a review on Amazon. And if you're able to, rate and review this show on whatever app you use. It really does help. Also, check out my friend Sean Duncan's new show, The California True Crime Podcast. It should be out soon. And knowing him, I'm sure it'll be great. Until next time, keep digging. And when you turn something up, remember that it might not be as valuable as you hope. All that glitters, as it were, may not be true. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States story. It's unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.